Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Light Up Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Gailey Dutton. Thank you all for joining me for this week's show. Today, we're going to be talking about the mind-body connection. First, we're going to dive into what this is, and then we're going to break down why this is essential for our long-term health. Following those two things, we will follow it up with how do we actually create healthy habits that align with the understanding and the importance of the mind-body connection. We will dive into the power of the mind and how to use cognitive reframing to improve overall mental health. We will dive into self-care and how we can manage stress levels amidst daily life. And lastly, lastly, we will talk about the power in taking action now. So the brain-body connection. These two things, our brain and our body, our mind and our physical being, are designed to work together as a team to enhance the other. We can kind of indirectly improve our body by caring for our mind. And similarly, we can actually improve our mental health indirectly by maintaining healthy lifestyle habits for our body. Understanding that these two aspects are interconnected is absolutely essential because you can be, you guys, the the fittest person on earth, but if you are insanely stressed out, your body will respond to that mental stress. And so to kind of start us off in the most general terms, the mind-body connection is this understanding that the thoughts that you have, the way that you think, the way that you perceive your life, the stress that you're facing, the emotions that you feel on a daily basis are not detached from the physical symptoms you have, the energy that you have, the way that you feel, and the way that you can physically show up on a day-to-day basis. These two things actually are extremely interconnected, and our brain and our body are actually so intertwined, it's very, very fascinating. So to understand this a little bit better, I'm going to approach this topic from two ways, because we can understand this mind-body connection from two approaches. The first approach is understanding how the body impacts the brain. And then the other approach would be understanding it from the opposite way. How does our brain, the way that we think, impact our physical body? How does that even work? So I'm going to start off by giving you guys a few examples of what this actually looks like. Because if we don't understand how something works, it's really hard to stay committed to a change, right? We're all here because we want to better ourselves. We want to be healthier. We want to live healthier lives. But if someone told you that, I don't know, drinking water was not necessary to live, I think there's a lot of people that probably wouldn't drink water as often, honestly. Like, we literally have to survive on water. If we go more than three days or, or something without water, you know, we can die. We're at risk for death. And this is ingrained in our biology, in our DNA, that we need water to live. And so, with this in mind, like, if water wasn't essential to our everyday health, I mean, it's a pretty, like, plain substance. I love water, but I honestly think that a lot of people would not drink as much water as they do now if it was not required for life. And so the reason I bring that up is because we're trying to make a change, whether we're trying to eat healthier or move our body more, whatever it is, if we don't understand the importance of it to us, whether that's for our life in general or just 
because we value it and we care about it, if we don't have a why or we don't have a purpose or a reason behind it, it's going to be so much harder to keep up with that behavior, right? It's going to be so much harder to remain disciplined in drinking water or staying active or being kind to those around you because there's not like a reason behind it. And unfortunately, that's just how we're hardwired. So we need it. We need a reason and we need an understanding. So we have to crawl before we can walk. And so before we get into some more practical approaches to how we can enhance the quality of our life through the mind and through the body, we need to understand how they're connected. So I'm going to start off by giving you guys a few examples. Now, all of these examples have been supported by a variety of studies. And so the first one is in regards to fitness. So movement, exercise, moving the body really in any way can be aerobic training, it can be resistance training, running, lifting, playing a sport, simply moving the body in general it sends signals to our brain and these are like happy hormones and I'm sure many of you guys are familiar with this concept already but it really does drive home this idea of the body to brain connection. So physical activity is going to send signals to the brain, these happy hormones, ultimately enhancing mood in the moment but even over time. And so during a really hard run, you know, right after, I mean, I know I feel this sense of like energy. I feel revived. And if I came into it feeling down or negative or had a tough day, physically moving my body changes the chemical components literally in my brain, making me feel positive moods. You know, I have that serotonin and dopamine and all of those those happy hormones are just thriving. And so this is a prime example of how the body really does impact our brain and our mental health and state. Right now I'm finishing up a study and I'm I'm kind of writing a big report on how essentially how physical activity and exercise impacts persons with depression and with anxiety. And it's really interesting because I'm trying to get into the nitty gritty. I want to understand, okay, what kind of exercise is is improving symptoms with people who are, are experiencing depression and anxiety. How how long does exercise need to be? What type? Um, you know, who's being studied? And as I dive more and more into this, almost all of the evidence, all of the evidence points to the fact that aerobic activity improves symptoms in persons with depression and anxiety. Now, there's a variety of scales here, depending on how severe the depression, how severe the anxiety, but it improves symptoms and it's allowing people to be free from these mental health disorders by simply moving their body. And there's a lot of reasons why, and we can get into that a little bit, but one of the reasons why is like what I mentioned earlier. When people in general, whether they're experiencing depression or not, move their body, we're releasing these happy hormones. And what we know is that, you know, with people that are experiencing depression and anxiety, that's often associated with feelings of hopelessness, of sadness, of feeling isolated, of feeling disconnected and alone. And so if we can fight those emotions and those feelings with these hormones that actually bring a feeling, a mood enhancement, then that's actually such a great intervention for these individuals. The other thing that a lot of studies are recognizing is that Yes, it does that, but also just physical activity in general is challenging. And when you're going through it, it's it's tough and it's hard and it builds resilience within people. So they're doing this physical activity, but they're actually building a resilience within themselves, this self-rapport that, hey, 
I can do this. Like I can get through something hard like a workout. And so maybe I can get through another day of life. And I think that that is really astounding and another explanation and way to understand how the body and movement really can alter the components of the brain. What we also know is that the brain is like a muscle. So in the same way that you have to, you know, go to the gym and you have to lift heavier and heavier in order to get bigger and stronger and more gains. The same thing is with our brain, right? We have to continue to seek, you know, lifelong learning and our brain can actually physically change. But another thing that's interesting is that with movement, we can actually change the brain as well. In some of the studies, it shows that even just a few weeks, three weeks of training, the hippocampus was slightly enlarged by 3%. And for that much to increase in the hippocampus in three weeks is phenomenal. And so we know that movement can literally, quite literally change the brain. So those are just a few examples of how our body can impact our brain. Now, I want to mention here, and we won't get into this until a little bit later, but the body can impact the brain in negative ways as well. I mean, think about just disease and ailments and being injured or hurt or facing things that the body is going through a lot of stress or trauma, it's very hard to stay happy. It's very hard to stay in a good mood. It's possible, but it's challenging. And, and we live in a body that is that is sick and isn't doing great. Man, it's tough. And I know that many of you Many people that are working in health-related fields, whether you're a nurse or whether you are, you know, a doctor or a trainer or whatever, you have family who is dealing with different illnesses and diseases. I mean, it's tough on everyone, but it's especially tough, I think, on that individual. And there are those troopers out there who can stay positive and optimistic, but everyone has those days regardless. And I think that we should count our blessings, number one, if you are someone who's living in a body that is fairly healthy and you're alive and you're breathing today, that's a gift. And so a little bit of a tangent, but I wanted to emphasize that as well. Okay, so now we're going to look at how the brain impacts the body. So flipping this around completely. Now, this is something that I also think is pretty crazy. Now, we're going to mainly focus on stress for this component because what stress does is stress releases a hormone. It releases cortisol into the bloodstream and cortisol is known as the stress hormone. And so the more and more cortisol we have, the more stress hormone we have, that's going to lead to ultimately chronic stress. So before we dive into more of this, I think it's important that I first explain something called the fight or flight response. Now, I'm sure you've heard of this before. And I've talked about it on the show before, but basically we have this fight or flight response within us. And, you know, back in the day when we were hunting for our food and living out in the wild every day, we had this response to protect us from predators that were trying to attack us or eat us. And it was this response that would elevate our blood pressure and allow us to get up quickly and run fast 
or or fight in the situation, fight in the moment. And what it would do is it would shut down our, you know, our digestion even because in a moment of life or death, you don't need to be digesting that food. You know what I mean? And so it's interesting because a lot of people who have chronic stress or are stressed or worried about things, it's pretty normal for them to be, you know, having some GI issues and troubles with going to the restroom because really your body shuts those things down. I mean, in my own personal life, I faced some extreme stress about three years ago to the point where I lost a lot of weight and I was underweight and it was not good for me and my hair started falling out. I lost my menstrual cycle and my digestion was all messed up because my body was just trying to keep me alive. It was like, you're starving. I'm going to try and keep you alive. And so we're going to shut off all these other systems that aren't crucial for your health and just keep your heart pumping, keep the blood flowing, and we're going to focus on that. And so it's interesting how much our brain, something like stress that you know, we think is all mental. We think like, oh, you know, work is overwhelming and taking care of my family is a lot and all these things. We think that it's not a big deal sometimes, but it is because chronic stress and stress over time leads to cardiovascular diseases. So if I go back to my my explanation of this, the spider flight response out in the wild, you know, there's a bear about to attack us, you know, our our nervous system is heightened, all those things. It makes sense, right? That makes sense that we need that in the moment or someone breaks into your house. You need to be able to hop up and do what needs to be done. I mean, I've heard of the stories of like the moms who've like lifted cars up to like get their kid out or something like you just get this rush of of energy and in all this stuff so that you can show up and fight or, or fight or flight so with that being said in today's day and age the stress that we face tends to come from things that are not so physical we're we tend to be stressed from situations you know at work or or life or finances or tough relationships things that are typically fairly persistent. It's not like a one and done situation. A bear is trying to attack us. Someone's trying to break in. Our body responds and then it eventually goes away. It's something that actually is every day taunting us. This little bit of stress or a lot of stress on a regular basis, a consistent basis that is the true I mean, criminal here uh, to our to our long term health, and the reason why, and I'm sure a lot of you may be familiar with this already, is because we're going to have you know artery buildup, and there's so much stress and cortisol and an increased blood pressure, all of these things that lead to different illnesses and diseases. And so this is really a prime example of of why stress, something mental in our mind is actually going to impact our physical body in a pretty detrimental way. We even see this, you know, with high stress, we see people maybe ruminating um, on things or trying to find control, right? When things in life are out of control, we try and control things. So rather than like, you know, so we have the, the physical, the physiological responses to stress, something in the mind and how the body physically responds. But the other way we can look at this brain-to-body connection is in our behavior. So our physical behavior, what we do, the actions we take, the things that we eat, the way that we move is also impacted by our brain. So if we're chronically stressed or in a, a tough situation, it's really normal for people to, you know, divert to unhealthy behaviors, whether that's, 
you know, binge eating or overeating or even food avoidance, not eating at all. Um, And we know that a lack of nutrition, whether that's from eating too much processed foods or junk foods and not eating enough whole foods, or just from not simply eating enough food in general, is not great for our body or for our mind long term. And if we're chronically stressed and we don't have a healthy way to cope or a healthy way to manage our stress, then that might lead to unhealthy behavior. Maybe that means drinking more on the weekends or smoking more or eating eating more, whatever it is, we respond to cope in some manner. And so it's critical that we, number one, are aware of what's stressing us. And number two, we have a healthy way to cope with it. Because if not, we can ruminate on these stressors and that can lead to poor behaviors, which lead to poor physical health outcomes. So I hope this is all making sense. I hope that I'm wrapping it up in an okay box that the body is going to impact the brain and the body impacts the brain. Specifically, what we're talking about is movement and physical activity and how that changes the brain and how it changes the way that we, you know, view life and view ourselves and and view the ability to overcome obstacles, but also just this ability to kind of enhance our own mood through movement. And then on the other end, we have this brain to body connection where we see when we're stressed or we're overwhelmed, how that can physiologically change the way that our body is working. So I kind of want to now jump into some more practical things. I think it's really important that I explain kind of how that works and the mind-body connection. And I think that the why it's important for your long-term health makes sense there, right? If you're not managing your stress today, then five years down the road, road when you've been stressed for you know, how many days in a row, you could be at a higher risk for a variety of diseases, arthrosclerosis, different cardiovascular diseases. And we don't want that. And obviously that's important. You know, we want you to live long. We want you to stay healthy and then vice versa. I mean, if you're struggling mentally and you're feeling stuck, you're feeling stagnant, you're feeling negative, man, maybe your quality of life would be so much better if you just moved your body. You don't even have to like do anything in your brain yet. You can just go move and maybe seeing a counselor or a therapist is beneficial and really diving into those thoughts. But this could be a really powerful tool for you to to make a step for free, you know, without cost. So I want to now kind of break into how we can create healthy habits, how we can create new neural pathways in the brain. Now, I briefly mentioned this earlier, but we actually can rewire our brain. We can rewire these pathways. The more negative thoughts that we think, we are creating more and more pathways in our brain that are negative. And if we think more and more positive thoughts and we rewire our brain, then we can reshape our brain to actually be more positive, which is really fascinating and really unique. So if you are listening to this and you're like, dang, I want to start moving my body more. I want to start managing my stress more so that it can live longer and have a better quality of life. You might come up with just now, you know, maybe a behavior change that you're wanting to make. And if you want to make that behavior change, it's going to require that you probably stop doing something that you're doing now and then replace it with something new. But in order to do that, we have to kind of rewire our brain and rewire the way that we approach things. So if we want to create healthy habits, we need to figure out how we can actually create new neural pathways in the brain. And to do this, we're going to dive into this technique called cognitive reframing. And cognitive reframing essentially 
is a psychological technique that consists of, and I'm reading the definition, of identifying and then changing the way situations, experiences, events, ideas, or emotions are viewed. Cognitive reframing is a process in which by situations or thoughts are challenged and then changed. So cognitive reframing starts by simply just becoming more aware of your thoughts and how they're actually shaping your perspective on different situations. So things like meditation or some kind of mindfulness technique can be a really good first step because we have to first understand what thoughts are coming into our brain. Because the truth is that the brain is like a garden and and seeds get planted there and those are your thoughts. And when those seeds take root, they grow. And when they grow and they sprout, that turns into maybe more thoughts and more neural pathways and more ideas. And then those ideas turn into actions that we actually start taking in our life and then the more actions we take this way or that way the more behaviors we make the more choices we make that is what ultimately accumulates to our life and leads us down one life path versus another and the reason why I paint this picture in this way is to emphasize that your thoughts are important and so don't neglect the opportunity to address where you might be having negative thoughts. So first observe, notice your emotions, your thoughts, notice how your body responds to those emotions and thoughts. And then I would encourage you to describe, try and understand, maybe put words to this experience without being judgmental and just trying to understand like, hmm, I wonder where that's coming from or, oh, that's interesting. I said this or I thought that. And then After you've written down all of the thoughts that you have had, try and think about some thoughts that you could replace it with and read that list, review that list of of replacement thoughts, whether the the first thought was, I'm unworthy, and then the follow-up thought is, I am valuable. Maybe that's the replacement thought. It could be literally anything that you feel is truly um, in alignment with, with you. And then every time that, you know, you notice yourself having the thought of I'm unworthy, you can remember, no, I'm actually really valuable. And so this is just a practice thing. And, you know, we're never going to be perfect. We're always going to have negative thoughts pop in here and then. But the real power is when we can address it and, and replace it. It's not about just completely eliminating negative thoughts, but replacing those negative thoughts. And this is so critical, you guys, because our thought life becomes our actual life. And so if we can learn some tools and strategies to approach it, that's going to be super, super critical to living a a healthy life. Because as we know, health and wellness is not just the physical body. We go to the doctor and we see, you know, we go to hospitals, we see physicians and all these people so that we can be healthy. And we often think of health as simply just food and movement. But you guys know this is so much deeper. It goes into your spiritual health and your mental health. Those things are just as, if not more important because they're so connected. So we have cognitive reframing, and that was kind of the next thing that I wanted to briefly explain. And I kind of want to just jump into some more practical things. So like I mentioned before, mindfulness. Just five minutes of mindfulness in the morning, I think, can make the biggest difference. This is something that I've implemented in my life, and there's numerous studies on just a few minutes of mindfulness daily, helping to reduce stress, provide more clarity and focus throughout the day. And when I started this experiment about three years ago, I was blown away when I initially started. I mean, the first few weeks of really meditating each morning for literally three to five minutes, nothing crazy. 
also i'm gonna put the link in the description or maybe someone can find it and chat it um i'm gonna i'm gonna find a link to this and put it in the description of the show notes i apologize for the miscommunication um but it's called insight timer and i've mentioned it before but there's a bunch of beginner mindfulness things on there and you can use the app close your eyes lay in your bed sit in a chair and just do the meditation practicing paying attention to your breath and your breathing and all these things and it's a great free tool that I would highly recommend because when I went down this experience and this journey of just mindfulness for myself I noticed immediately that I just felt so much more clarity and purpose I felt way more aligned with who I was and I was honestly able to show up and do the hard things that I had to do every day whether it was going to the gym or doing work or school, whatever it was, became a little bit easier. And it also became easier for me to interact with others and love on others because I was coming from a place of just true gaily. I was just myself. And so I think that mindfulness can, one, help us address maybe any negative thoughts that we're having, but also just calm our our mind and also calm our body. I think sometimes we think that meditation is only to calm the mind or only to, you know, de-stress the mind. It also gets you connected to your body. When you're breathing and you're paying attention to your breath and the way that your body works, you really realize how connected you are to your physical body. And it's amazing. So that would be my one practical approach is we're busy people. We have work. We're working 12-hour shifts. We're at school all day. Whatever that looks like, we're busy. But even just three to five minutes in the morning, instead of picking up your phone for five minutes, throwing on a little meditation could be really helpful to manage stress levels, prevent diseases, and be able to show up for others well. My second piece of advice would be journaling. Now, everyone has different approaches on this. Some people love journaling, have done it since they were a kid. Other people could never fathom writing down the thoughts in their heads down on paper. They wouldn't want anyone to see it. They don't want to do it. It feels weird. And I respect that. I get that. But there's a really cool study that was done, and I hope that this maybe encourages those of you who are more hesitant. There's a study done, and basically they had... um, they had people practice journaling. And what they found was that people who who journaled, and there was a peop- people who journaled and people who didn't journal, but people who journaled regularly after a really hard day, so not just like a great day, but a really challenging day, and they were able to come home at the end of the day and and learn something from their hard day and write it out and, and write out the emotions that they had, the hard feelings that they had, the tough experience that they faced, by writing it out, you kind of let go. And these people, these individuals were able to write this out, let it go. And they actually had better health outcomes long-term, which I think is absolutely amazing because stress management is really just changing the way that we perceive events. Because one event could be highly stressful to one individual, whereas to another, it could be a challenge. There's this analogy that I love about a lion and a sheep. The lion is chasing after the sheep and the sheep is running away from the lion. The sheep doesn't want to die. So its cortisol goes up. Its stress hormones go up. This sheep is stressed out. Its life is on the line. Whereas the lion, his blood pressure also has gone up. He's also kind of in this stress state, actually. But he's thinking, I'm going to get a really great meal out of this. 
And so although both animals are in a stressful situation, one is perceiving it way different than the other. Now, obviously this analogy can be broken down because of a lot of reasons, but we can apply that to this same situation. Two people could have a really bad day, a very stressful day, a day full of really hard conversations or seeing really hard stuff. And one person could come home and just let that seep into the rest of their night and they just never really address it. And that will sit in their physical body through through stress, through elevated blood pressure, through this fight or flight response, not shutting off. And the other person could come home and find a technique, whether that's meditation or journaling, to process what happened, maybe even take something positive from it, learn from it, and now they're actually growing. And this study showed that the people that were able to come home, especially after a tough day, tended to have better health outcomes due to their ability to manage stress and also change the way that they perceived events. They lived longer and they had a better quality of life. Another study that I think is really interesting, um, and I actually heard this on the Huberman's Lab podcast, one of my favorites, so shout out to him, um, but I want to mention it here. Essentially, there was a, a two groups of people who attended a mindfulness retreat. One group, the control group, attended the event. They did not participate in actual meditation, but they went to conferences, they learned a bunch of stuff, and they walked around this cool place, and they hung out, and whatever. The other group went to this retreat the same amount of time and they they learned how to meditate they learned what that looks like they practiced it they they all those things so initially after they they followed up with the participants and about a week later they found that actually both groups the control group and the group of participants in the meditation showed that they actually felt like they had a, a better mood. They felt like they were doing better. They were feeling really positive and optimistic. They had better mental health and clarity. And so you might be thinking, well, then it doesn't matter, right? Like they both like they both got a benefit from it, right? Someone learned mindfulness. The other people walked around, attended a conference and learned about mindfulness, didn't practice it, but they both felt good after, right? But what's more interesting is that it wasn't until a few years later that they went back and they looked at those two groups and they found that the control group that had attended the event but did not learn mindfulness techniques had higher levels of depression and anxiety than the group who had participated and actually learned how to implement mindfulness meditation. So this goes to show that long-term, learning how to manage negative emotions, manage stress, learning how to move your body in a way that works for you, learning how to fuel your body in a way that works for you is critical to long-term health because we can know the thing. We can know that eating fruits and vegetables is going to be good for us, but if we don't figure out how to actually implement that into our life, then it doesn't matter because it, it, it just, it just doesn't matter. So we have to first have a why, understand how the body and the brain work, and understand, too, why it matters to us. And then after we know how it works, why it matters, we need to determine what we're going to do about it and, and how we're going to actually implement this into our everyday life. So I hope that from today, maybe I shared some things that stood out to you. I mentioned this app, the Insight Timer, that might help you find a way to meditate, or maybe you want to try meditation on your own as a stress management technique. Maybe you've never journaled a day in your life, or you used to, but you haven't picked it up in a while. I want to encourage you, take that time for yourself and just see what happens. And if after a few weeks, you feel like it's not doing anything for you, then stop and find something else. It's okay. Okay. 
Another technique I want to share, which is not even a technique, it's just a, a healthy suggestion, limiting screen time. We know that in the same way that exercise increases those those happy hormones, that dopamine, that serotonin. Unfortunately, so does social media, our phones, getting all of that attention heightens us and we almost get addicted to it like crack cocaine and social media becomes crack and we can't stop looking, we can't stop checking our phone. And what that does is before bed, if we're checking our phone, not only is the blue light unhelpful, but that can really get our stress hormones elevated, whether you realize it or not. And that can really impact our sleep. And we know that sleep is absolutely critical and essential for long-term health, for preventing illness and all these things for keeping our immunity up. And so limiting screen time before bed and replacing it with journaling, replacing it with meditation or reading a book that's not like overstimulating, I think is a really helpful idea. And then lastly, but not lastly, we have nutrition and physical activity. I think that the way that we nourish our bodies directly impacts the way that we function in our brain. There's a study on a on a, a school and the students in the school all had different behavioral health issues. And what they found was, you know, kids with ADHD, OCD, just different things. Um, you know, people were getting in fights all the time, all of this stuff. And what they did is they went in and they eliminated all of the junk food, all of the food that had sugar and crap in it. Um, I don't know. I don't know why I just said crap, but yeah, crap in it. They got rid of all of that in the school and they replaced it with nourishing foods, healthy fats and carbs and protein. And they were nourishing these kids properly. They the time that they followed up from the study, they had no incident reports from the kids. So fighting went down. Levels of, you know, symptoms from ADHD, anxiety, depression went down. Kids felt better. Their behavior was um, much better and improved a lot simply through changing their nutrition and the way that they were eating. So in the same way, we should be cautious of how we eat and nourish our body. I know that on the last... um, And then with movement, finding a way to move that is joyful. I think we get stuck in this idea, this mindset that movement has to look one way or the other, and it doesn't. Movement can look a variety, a a plethora of ways, and we know that movement is important. Like we mentioned earlier, physical activity and movement improves the literal condition of our brain, of our mind, improves the way that we feel. But movement is also a great outlet to manage our stress and have a place where we can work through some tough emotions or even just kind of step away from those tough emotions for a while and just, you know, have a moment to ourselves to, to, to better ourselves. And so whether that's walking every day or going to the gym or throwing a Frisbee or whatever it is, finding a way to move your body can be really helpful to manage stress levels, improve your overall health outcomes, and really just find a, a balance a balance here. So, so far we've chatted a little bit about the mind-body connection, creating healthy habits, neural pathways, cognitive reframing. We've chatted about different ways to manage our stress and I call this self-care, but it could look a variety of ways. And lastly, I just want to talk about the power in taking action because I've shared a lot of info here, a lot of different studies, um, and, and I've thrown a lot at you, but I want to encourage you because I think that it's really easy to be like, oh, cool, Gailey, that sounds awesome. Like, I want to start doing this more or this more. And sometimes we can push these things off into the future. Like, oh, well, when 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 I get that, 
when I get those nice running shoes from Nike, then I'll start, you know, walking around my neighborhood or going for runs or whatever. We just, we put things off all of the time. And there is, there is so much power in just taking a step right now, because right now is all that we have. It's all that we have. And we cannot plan fully for what tomorrow will bring. But what we can do is decide how we live in the moment now. And every day, every moment of every day, we have a choice. We choose how we want to show up, how we want to live. And I think that if we can just just slow it down a bit, get away from this busyness culture that wants us to live on stress, honestly, if we can step back and just be present, I think we can make much more mindful decisions because you know what's going to be best for your body, I think, honestly. I think that you can trust yourself but it's really hard to trust yourself. It's really hard to make healthy decisions when we're in this go, go, go mode all the time. So if we can slow down and get really present, there's power in being present and there's power in taking an action step now. Stop waiting to do the thing. Do it now. If you've been wanting to, you know, improve an area of your life, do it now. I mean, my motto is just do it. This Nike's motto. My motto is like, do the thing, right? If you need, if you want a job opportunity, you're looking to to make a shift or a change, apply, upload your resume, make the phone call, send the email. You don't know what's going to come of it. You know, we can spend our whole life just wishing and waiting for the world to perfectly align for us to do the thing. No, we have to be willing to show up to take ownership of our life and to change our behaviors if living a fulfilling and healthy life is actually what we want. If that's what we desire, we must be willing to show up. Thank you guys so, so much for tuning into this week's show. I really, really appreciate you guys taking the time to tune in and be here. If you have time, I would really appreciate it if you could leave the podcast a rating or review on any platform that you're listening on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it is. On top of that, it would be phenomenal if you wanted to share this week's show with a friend or family member. You can text it to them. You can post it on your social media and tag us at Light Up Your Life Podcast. That is essentially the only way that the podcast grows, you guys. And so if you want to support this, you want to support the message of just continuing to develop and step into a better version of ourselves, step into new light and new life, then please share the show. Greatly appreciated, you guys. I'm really looking forward to connecting with with some of you and i hope this spoke to some of your hearts some of your minds i'll catch you all next week have a good one